Now, that's an important question that we all have to look at. Am I a disciple? I think we have all of our, you know, where we would say, oh, yeah, I'm a disciple. And, and sometimes it's because that's what I want to be called. You know, we, we like to have the title, but are we really walking that out? That's really got to be the question. Are, are we a disciple? Are we our own definition of what a disciple is, or are we Jesus' de- definition of what a disciple is? We have to put the word first. The word has got to be preeminent in all of these things when we look at all of that to realize that we have got to call ourselves into alignment with God's word rather than trying to get a God's word into an alignment with what we want or what we think. We can't come up with our own definition of disciple. We have to realize that our, our, the requirement in our life is to align ourselves with God's definition of things, aligning ourselves with his word. And we're going to continue and talk about this today. We, in Luke chapter 4, we finished that back a couple of weeks ago. And we were looking at Jesus as our example. And we are called unto a transformation in our life, being transformed unto the image of Christ. It's something that each and every one of us is called to. Will we do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But will we and should we be getting better each and every day as the Holy Spirit causes God's his word to be enlightened and illuminated in our lives to transform us and change us? The Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit was given to convict us in regards to sin, which means we should therefore start sinning less, and in regards to righteousness, which means we should start walking in the righteousness that is ours each and every day a little more and a little more. That's a transformation process. And as Christians, that is what we're supposed to be in, is this process of being transformed. Not in perfection, but in direction. So in chapter 4, what we saw was Jesus beginning this example for you and I of what it is that he was doing. And, and again, he doing these things that we can look at and go, okay, I need to do some of those things. I need to do all of those things. So what he did was he begun his ministry. And Jesus in his ministry was answering the call that was upon his life. And he was focusing on that call, which was to be a preaching evangelist. Jesus was called by the Father to do that. And so what is he doing? He's doing what God had called him to do. And he's in this place where he's preaching and he's teaching and he's, he's taking the word of God and sharing it in the synagogues throughout this region of Galilee is what the word says. But I want you to see that what Jesus is sharing with you and I is something a little deeper than sometimes what we want to receive. Jesus is talking to us about what is a belief system, but we tend to let it end there we've been talking about this a lot Jesus is sharing with us a belief system and yes it is Christianity is a belief system and a lifestyle okay it has it's a belief system that begins to transform our lifestyle and Jesus is showing us how to live how he lived and he showed us we talked about this one of the things Jesus did he poured himself out in ministry he's calling you and I to pour ourselves out in ministry Is our life being poured out in a service unto him? Is our life being poured out each and every day, in every moment of that day, trying to keep ourselves as fixated as we can on Jesus Christ so that we can bring glory to God and serve others like Jesus did? Doesn't mean that you're full-time ministry at a church. I mean, but you are still just as called to ministry as I am. Amen. Amen, Pastor Mark. Okay, come on. He calls us, Jesus took the time to go into a place of rest, 
to let himself recover in his flesh, to take the time to realize I need to get with my father so that he can fill me up for the works of the ministry. I love Jesus. He, you know, we sometimes get it backwards. We go into all these things and then we think, well, I got to stop and pray about this. Jesus goes out and prays and then he's ready for all those things that happen. Notice Jesus was ready. Because he had spent time with the Father. He was filled up. He knew that. And you and I need to be doing the same thing. If you're not taking the time to find Sabbath in your life, then you're going to be emptied out and you're going to find depression and you're going to find all sorts of bad stuff. Jesus teaches us, that we talked about this a couple weeks ago, to pursue your calling, not your potential. There's always more you can do than what you should do. And now Jesus is in this next place and he goes into chapter, Luke goes into chapter 5 or this next section of the life of Jesus. And what Jesus is going to begin to do is he's going to begin to recruit. He's going to begin to add new leaders. And in our lives, this is one of the things that we should be doing, training other leaders. We should be first being trained to be a leader realizing that call, and then bringing others alongside of us. It's about recruiting. It's about gathering. It's about training new people that would come and share the load of the ministry to do more of the work of the ministry so that we can reach more people, so that more can be done, so that the kingdom of God can grow. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here in this next section of Scripture where he is calling Peter and James and John to come alongside of him in the ministry. And, and he does all of this, and it's all done around the Sea of Galilee. And uh, you know, I, I haven't ever had the privilege of going to Israel. I mean, one day, uh, certainly would love to do that, but have not. And so I, I, wanna, I like to look at the different pictures, and I thought, I want to give you a, some pictures here, just so that we're all on the same page before we go into this. This first picture here, this is the Sea of Galilee. It's the Sea of Galilee today. It's more of a, obviously, I could not find a picture of the Jesus Day. But you can see this is green, lush ground. This is, the, I mean, the Sea of Galilee is known as a place of life. There's life in the, in the sea. There's life around the sea. It's a hill country. It's a beautiful, fertile area. And, and again, I, I'm going to bring to you at some point or another a study that I'm doing is in looking into this. Um, man, there's just this amazing, amazing, God is so cool. But I mean, the Sea of Galilee, where there's all this life, and this life that flows through the Jordan River, down into the Dead Sea, and just the reality of what all of that means in Christ, in God, in the Word, and what it is that God was putting together when he caused life to flow through the Jordan, through the, through the, um, the river that Jesus was baptized in into the Dead Sea, from life to death. And what did Jesus do? He came right into the middle of it all to make a way for us. What did God do? He parted the Jordan River so that people could go from the place of being lost to being found, to going into the promised land. There's just some amazing things in all of that. And we'll talk more about all of those things at some other point here when I, when I get done with some of it. But I wanted you to take a look at the geography of some of this because it's important to understand. I always had thought in my mind, you know, the Sea of Galilee, I thought, you know, I got a pretty good arm. I could probably throw a baseball across it. No, it's 13 miles by eight miles. It's a giant body of water. 
So it's not just a, a little place that we're talking about here. And we'll talk more about that in the book of Luke as we go on. And then this next picture I wanted to show you is just, this is, this is when they're talking about the fishing boats. This is what one of the fishing boats would have looked like. So this is the kind of fishing boat that Jesus got in, we'll read about here in a moment, when he was pushed out from, sh uh, from shore. This is what Peter and James and John walked away from. This is the front of that boat is where Jesus was reclining and sleeping in the midst of the storm. This is the kind of, this is the kind of boat, this is what Peter stepped out of when he walked on the water. Again, we're going to talk about these here, and so I wanted you to get just a visual of what it is that we're looking into here as we begin to read in Luke chapter 5, reading about Jesus as he, in this area, um, begins to recruit the first official ministry partners to come alongside of him. Let's look at this. And, and again, you have notes on your, um, uh, in the app, you can go to the app, you can find notes, you can fill in the blank and follow along, all of it is in there for you. Verse 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, now Jesus, you know, he, Jesus' crowds were growing. Jesus had these large crowds that were coming to him, and they were surrounding him. People were coming all over. Well, why were they there? To hear the word of God. Amen. It came, that's what they were coming for. They were coming to hear the word of God. And again, I want to stop here, because and, and, this is, listen, the word of God, the basis, the, 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 the essence, the center, the, the authority of ministry is the preaching of the word of God. I want to tell you this side that. Ministry is all about the preaching of the word of God. It's all about the word of God. It's not, listen church, it's not about programs. It's not about our man-made institutions. It's not about our processes and all of our, it's about the word of God. It's all about that. And when we begin, and we have, but we've needed to repent in some of those areas, when we've made it all about programs, it creates nothing but problems. Because programs cause problems. When it's about the preaching of the word of God, if you've got a problem, take it to God because it's his word. Go ahead and argue with him. So in the church here, I, I, I know that you, you don't all come because I have such a sweet, rosy disposition. Amen. Hey. <laughs> hey, I also know this, and I'm, I'm perfectly aware with the, of this, and I'm fine with this. I also know because you don't come, you don't come because of my eloquent oratory skills. I am not that good. And I'm okay with that. I am who God made me to be. Which means people come not by personality or, or by my giftings or abilities, but I believe that each and every one of you come by the power and authority that is in the Word of God. You come to hear the Word of God. You come to hear the Bible. You come to hear the Word because the Bible is truth and that only the truth can set you free. Only the truth that you receive can set you free. And church... Amen. And church, 
The same Holy Spirit, listen, the same Holy Spirit that anointed men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures were written. And it's the same Holy Spirit that brings the inspiration of scripture that it can be preached to you. And it's in the preaching, the inspired preaching of the inspired, anointed word of God that brings change to a human heart and a human life. But he uses human beings to do it. Not perfect human beings, that is for sure. But I thank God that he has chosen the imperfect to deliver the perfect to those who need a word from him. And this is what he does. This is what God is doing. This is what God is doing right here in the scripture that we're talking about. This is what Jesus is doing in all of this. And and so people, they're, they're coming around Jesus. They're drawing themselves and they're coming around him. Why? Because he's preaching the word of God. And now listen, and, and the word of God, when properly taught, when the property pre- properly preached, the word of God is always about Jesus. Amen. It's always about Jesus. I mean, from Genesis, from the very beginning to the end of Revelations, it's all about Jesus. You, listen, if you can't see Jesus in each and every scripture, if you can't see his hand, you can't see his face, you can't see what he's doing, you can't see what he's leading, you can't see what he's fulfilling in all of these places, then we're looking at it wrong. Jesus, look, he is the word of God. And again, we have not always been perfect at that, but I thank God that he is a gracious God who gives us the opportunities to change and to be transformed and to make brand new decisions because he's renewed his mercies for us, even individually, but also as a church. And so we are, in essence, a Bible-teaching, Bible-centered, Bible-preaching church. And I want the word of God to be centered because what the Bible says is true, and there's power in truth. Okay, there's power. Why do you think the enemy wants to deceive us? Why do you think the enemy wants us to believe a lie? Why do you think the enemy wants to get us off course into things that aren't truth? Because there's power in the truth. And the enemy knows it and he hates it. And so people are being drawn to Jesus and they're coming to him. And lives are being changed by the word of God, by the power that's being expressed through the word of God. And we fully, totally, and completely, church, we believe this with all our hearts. I believe that with all of my heart. And therefore, church, we base everything on the expectation that God blesses his word. Amen. 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 He blesses his word. Now, again, I love the honor of preaching to you. I love preparing, I love studying, I love, listen, I really don't have any hobbies. I, I, any free time that I have, I'm, I'm, I want to dig into something. I mean, just, I like to go in and just do different studies. That's just what I, that's, that's what I find pleasure and joy in. So again, I, I love preaching to you. I don't want you to get this wrong. But as much as I love preaching to you, You need to be in the word of God yourself. You need to be getting into the Bible yourself. You need to be reading the word of God every single day. You need to be learning. You need to be reading the word of God as a love letter. You need to be reading the word of God as a textbook. You need to be reading the word of God as a historical document because it's all of those. You need to read the word of God and get it into you, which means you need to, again, you need to. 
Start studying the Word of God. This is why we started the Wednesday night Bible study. We're going through Philippians, but what we wanted to do was to teach you as we go through Philippians how to study your Bible because so many people have no idea how to study their Bible. And there are a lot of modern... accessories that we can use and and that we can take advantage of so that we can deeper study the very living word of God. And so come out, be a part of that. Come out and be a part of the the study so that you can know how, how, understand how, use some of the tools that are out there. Come be a part of that. We need to be getting the word into our lives. You need to, listen, you need to be a part of a life group. You need to be going to a life group where you can begin to talk about the Word of God, where you can begin to, in like hearts and like minds, come together and discuss the Word of God, meditate on the Word of God, talk about it, mull it over, let it begin to change our thinking, let it begin to transform our life. You need to be in a place where you're taking those things into your heart, meditating on it. Again, meditating means speaking out, beginning to declare the Word of God, taking the Word of God, and speaking it out, praying through it, talking through it yourself. Doing whatever you need to do. Memorizing Scripture. We, memorizing Scripture will change your heart, it will change your life. But when's the last time that you took some Scripture and decided, you know what, i got to memorize this? We had somebody in the church that made a, uh, gave a wonderful gift to the church for, for the young people to be able to memorize scripture. So our kids have a scripture memory contest going on and they are going to be memorizing Romans chapter 8. And we are bribing them to do it. <laughs> I'm not above it. There's a, a, there's a really, I mean, there's a really good gift for those who finish and can memorize the whole thing. But I want you to see, do you think that Romans chapter 8 being memorized into the heart, into the mind of a young person can change their life? I'm telling you, every kid who does it, their life will never be the same again. Because the Word of God will bring transformation. The Word of God will come to remembrance. God will take that memorized Word and do that. But, but church, when's the last time you set out to memorize some Scripture? Amen, Pastor Mark. Church, is so important because life, faith, faith comes by this. Hearing the Word of God. You need to be putting that into your own heart. Because if all you're hearing is what if all you're hearing is what I'm giving you here on Sunday mornings, then then you are you, you know, you're scripturally malnourished. Because I cannot give you enough to feed you for your week. You have to do it yourself. And so in the scripture, these crowds are coming to Jesus. Listen, I think there's still crowds to be had. I think there's still crowds that will form around the preaching of God's word. I think people will come to hear the word. I think where the Bible is taught, where the Bible is truly taught, I think people will come. People will show up. Lives will get changed. Yes, some people will get offended. Some people will get their feelings hurt. Some people will get their toes stepped on. Some people won't get to have their ears tickled. The Word of God isn't there to tickle your ear. The Word of God's not there to impress you. 
It's there to bless you. And if it's not bringing transformation, then it's not doing what God wants it to do. And Jesus, he's got these massive crowds that are coming. Lives are getting changed. People are being changed by the teaching and the preaching of God's word. And it says he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And again, I just, just so you know, that, that lake Gennesaret is the same as the Sea of Galilee. It's just the same body of water. It's just such a big body of water that different towns and different sides of the, of the sea. It's like, it's like the Sea of Cortez and the, you know, the, the, the Gulf of California. It's the same body of water. It's just different towns have different names, but it's the same thing. So keep that in mind. Verse 2. And he, talking about Jesus, so Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret. He's walking along, and it says he saw two boats by the lake. Two of those boats, like I showed you, were sitting there by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them. So they were empty, and the fishermen were off to the side, and they were washing their nets. So what does that mean? Yeah. It means they were done for the day. It means the job was over. The, the job was done. Their work was done for the day, and they had given up. Quit. They'd pulled in their nets. They'd come to shore. They'd taken the nets out of their boat, and now they're cleaning these nets, these valuable nets. They're cleaning them out so that they can put them away safely so that they're not going to get damaged. This was the end of their work day. It's like you being at the end of your day. You're putting all your tools away. I mean, you're sweeping up. You're cleaning up. You're getting everything put away. Your cords are all wrapped up. All your tools are put in the truck. Everything's done. You've locked up the house, and you're getting ready to go home. This is what's going on right here with these guys. And in verse 3, it says, getting into one of the boats which was Simon's. And again, this is Peter. Peter is the first leader. This is the one he's going to call first. And he becomes the leader of the disciples. And so Jesus comes to Peter. He gets into one of the boats. And he says, Peter, he asks him to put out a little from the land. And then Jesus, it says, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, Jesus didn't have the privilege of having an amplification he didn't have a sound system. He didn't have those things, right? And so these crowds were pressed into him. Well, when a crowd gets pressed into you and you're starting to preach to this crowd that's pressed in, it's really hard to get your voice to carry over the first few rows. I remember there was this time we were doing this, teen, uh, this outreach and, and we, we didn't plan on a large number of teenagers that would come. And so we were outside and we were, it was like a basketball court thing and, and uh, I was standing there, I was getting ready to preach, and, and we had done some praise and worship, and God just began to move, and this crowd was bigger than what we had thought, and these kids were at the altar, and they were coming, and they were all standing right up front, and so when I went to go to preach, it was like I was standing here, and they were like right here, and they were all around, and there was like, these kids were all back, and, and, and it was like weird. It was, it was like trying to preach, and I'm like trying not to spit on them. You better watch it right up front here <laughs> in the soak zone. And, and, and so, you know, it just feels so weird. And, and part of it is because only the first couple rows can hear. The, beyond that, there's just no ability to be able to preach through that front row that's being pressed in. And I wanted everybody to hear, but nobody else could. You know, I, I, I was reading, and I, this is just, so, this amazes me. I, I just loved it, you know, how Jesus was able to do what Jesus did. But through history, you know, I, I was reading about George Whitefield, 
and what an amazing evangelist. He, what an incredible preacher. This guy was one of the very first that really began to preach in an animated way. He actually came over from England to the United States, or it wasn't the United States at the time, but he came in the 1700s, and he was one of the first, he was one of the first preachers to fill basically a, a coliseum. They, in that day, they called it a field. Because he would come and, and the crowds would just come. They say that the people became so fervent to hear the word and they wanted to get up front so badly that there actually were people that were trampled to death in some of the crusades that he did. I mean, that's how much the people in the Americas wanted to hear the word of God. In fact, he's one of the, I, I mean, one of the absolute institutional leaders that came about, the, or through him, came about the Great Awakening. In huge part, came through him. He would actually preach, crowds of fifteen to 20,000 people would come, and he would preach with no amplification. He would stand up on a barrel. There's, there's sermons that he stood on a whiskey barrel, preaching the word of God to tens of thousands of people. In fact, he would preach so hard and so animated that, that I was reading that it, when he got done preaching, he literally would spit out blood because the vocal cords were bleeding. They'd been, I mean, the cost of his ministry was his vocal cords. I mean, there's people that are gifted in those ways. Well, here's Jesus, and Jesus needs to preach to this large crowd. And so what does he do? He grabs Peter's boat. He already obviously knew Peter, and he says, Peter, push off from shore a little bit. Couple of reasons why I think that happened. I know that there's probably a lot of you that went, why did Jesus do that? Well, he had him push off from shore to get a little bit of distance between him and the front row. Most of it off the shore was a natural, uh, you know, like, amphitheater so to speak where the crowds could go up and he could preach and he could speak that way but also isn't it amazing how Jesus knew this water is a natural amplification you know you ever ever been in a place where the waters were still and you could just hear from so far my, my friend when I was growing up in junior high my my best friend his parents had a cat uh, we called it a cottage up on a little lake in northern Michigan and we would go up there and it was a it was a you know little lake but it was big enough for power boats and skiing and stuff like that well the lake i remember this one night we were all sitting out back and there was this it was glassy calm and it was so crazy cuz we could hear the people talking on the other side of the lake because water is a natural amplification that the land just isn't. Isn't it amazing that Jesus knew that? Amen. I'm being a little facetious there. He's God. Come on. So Jesus, he's aware of all this, and he wants his message to get out to as many people as he can. So what does Jesus do? He uses the technology of the day. Okay? Just like we do. I, I want you to be able to hear in the back just as good as we can in the front. And Jesus, because he's using their technology, he climbs into this boat. And in verse 4 it says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, Master, we have toiled all night long and took nothing. 
How long have they been working? It's not a trick question. All night. Anybody work the night shift? How do you feel at the end of that shift when they say, how about doing a double? Look, how, how tired are these guys? They're exhausted. It says, it says they toiled. What did they make? You know, the only thing worse than working hard is working hard for nothing. And that's what these guys have done all night long. And, and so here they are, and, and Jesus is in the boat. The other guys are cleaning the nets. They've probably gotten pretty close to finish cleaning the nets. And Jesus comes along and says, Hey, I got an idea. Let's go fishing. <laughs> now, again, think about this. Was Jesus a fisherman? No, he was a carpenter. He's a carpenter. Was Peter a fisherman? Yeah, Peter was a professional fisherman. Peter was probably a generational fisherman. It was part of the legacy because Peter, listen, in that time it was not uncommon that Peter became a fisherman because his dad was a fisherman. And his dad was a fisherman because his grandpa was a fisherman. And his great-grandpa was a fisherman. It was not uncommon at all in that time. For them to, the boats that they were in were boats that their grandfather or great-grandfather had passed down to their father and had passed down to them. The nets they were using, these valuable nets, and these nets were valuable. These nets that they had were probably passed down from one generation to the next to the next. These guys had probably all lived in the same town for most all their lives, in generations, probably much of them living in the same house, fishing in the same places. Why? Because they knew where the fish were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there. They knew when fishing was good and when it wasn't. Now again, not even they were perfect. That's why it's called fishing, not catching. <laughs> these guys were carrying on the family business. And so these guys were done. And they were done for the day. And they were, I mean, cleaned the nets. Everything was done. And Jesus, again, remember, the carpenter, comes to Peter, the fisherman, and says, hey, let's go fishing. Can't you see Peter? I mean, you can hear it in his, you can hear it. Oh, come on, Jesus. Seriously? Oh, we've been up all night. I've fished all night. I'm so tired. I don't want to do this. I don't, we already rode ourselves in. We were so far out. Do you know how big that lake is? We rode all the way in. We had pulled our nets, so we brought them in. We pulled them out of the boat, and we got them all cleaned and all stacked and back in order. Jesus. Jesus. I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter. If we were talking about building a table, then maybe I would defer to you. <laughs> hey, listen, how many of you find it hard to take advice or to trust God in your area of expertise? Oh, and let me tell you, we have a lot of areas of expertise. A lot of them. 
I know there's some things that, you know, you're expert at. I got this. I know that. I'm an expert because God has gifted me in this area. I'm gifted at this. And there's times when all that might be true, and there's times that God says, I want you to trust me. And I want you to trust me in this area of gifting. I want you to trust me in this area of expertise. And we look at God sometimes and say, look, I know you're God, but I'm really good at this. I got this. Don't worry, Jesus. We got this. And sometimes God will come and and, and he'll cause you to do something or ask you to do something that doesn't make any sense. Why? Why would we go fishing now? Nobody goes fishing late in the morning. This is the worst time to go fishing. We just went through the best time to go fishing and didn't catch anything. Why would we do that? I never go fishing during that time of the day because nobody catches fish at that time of the day. That's just dumb. Why would we do that? I don't want to go through that. Why would I spend my time? Why would I waste my energy doing all of this? Anybody ever been in that position? Tried to tell God what to do? How are we going to do this? Hey, there's times God will show up and tell you and, and, and lead you to do something that doesn't make sense just so he can show you that he's God and you're not. He'll do that. And I love this. So, you know, what's Peter going to do? I can't, can't you imagine just, I mean, oh, all right, whatever. Get the net. Just give me one. I don't need a bunch of nets. Come on, just give me a bet. And, and he goes out, and it says that he let down the nets. Hey, even though he may have had some issues, he still was obedient. He still did what God told him to do, even though it didn't make sense. And verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were, their nets were what? Their nets were brave. Can't you see Jesus on shore? (laughs) Hey, I told you so! Maybe you should have taken more nets. Come on, guys. In fact, in verse 7, it says, and have any of you ever felt that from God? Where God's told you to do something, you ignored him, ignored him, ignored him, and then, you know, you, okay, and then he brought this breakthrough, and he's like, you could have done that two, three trips around the mountain ago. <laughs> and then in verse 7, it says, he signaled to his partners in the other boat. So again, he's talking about other, his partners in the other boat. He's got a fleet of boats. This is his business. I want you to remember that because that, this, is, this is important. So he signals to the partners of the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Church, that's a good day fishing. 
Come on, that is a good day fishing. This is his biggest payday ever, his biggest payload ever. This is the best day fishing that Peter had ever seen. This is the biggest time he had ever been and ever seen. I mean, come on, think about it. How many fish does it take to sink a fishing boat? Come on, this is what they did. So what is he saying in this? What is he telling us? Why is God sharing us this word with us? Listen, what he's saying is he's showing us that God can provide. That God will provide. And church, please listen to me. God does provide. So, we should stop arguing with him and start obeying him. That got a less hearty amen than I was expecting. Hey, rather than arguing with him, you just need to obey him. Come on, there we go. Thank you. And so now, what's Peter going to do? Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, he's recognizing in, in this that he's God. But church, this is what I love about Peter. Peter's a guy who fails all the time. I mean, over and over and over again. I, you know, we read the word of God, it seems like there's more failures than victories in his life. I was thinking about who best, you know, who, who best would represent him. And I, again, it's a silly illustration, but this is the name that came to mind. I, he's almost like the Charlie Brown of the Bible. Okay? I mean, he never seems to be able to get his foot on the ball. He's always running. He's always slipping. He's always falling down. He always seems to be on his back, and that just seems to be Peter. But listen, what Peter does, though, is he gets up, and he's like, it's like, can you just see all these interchanges between, exchanges between him and Jesus? Jesus, ugh, I'm so sorry. I did it again. Peter. I love you. And just a few moments later, ah, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry I, I did that again. Peter, come here. I got you. I love you. Ah, oh, Jesus, I did it again. Please don't give up on me. Peter, I'll never give up on you. Peter, I love you. We've been through this before. I know how to deal with it. That's what I love about Peter. And what I love is that Peter's a man that's going to get picked to be the leader of the disciples. His name is first on the list of disciples. Think about it. He, if you read through the book of Acts, he is literally, he is the spiritual authority, early church speaking, the spiritual authority of the early church. My goodness, God uses him, allows him the privilege of writing two books of the Bible. I'm so glad that Peter is a regular guy. 
That God took this guy who fails over and over and over again and used him to do these great things. I'm so glad that Peter isn't perfect. Because I could not relate if he wasn't. I can relate to a guy who has to come back to Jesus every day, sometimes multiple times during the day, and call out, God, please forgive me. God, I've blown it again. I am so thankful that God has given us this man, Peter, in all of his imperfections, because I can relate to that. And then Peter, you know, he's like, oh yeah, you know, like here, you, you are Lord. But even again, he, you know, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna try to boss Jesus around. He is. We're, we're going to read about that later on. We'll get to that in, in, in the Gospel of Luke. But he's going to try and tell Jesus what to do. Jesus says to him, who am I? Oh, you're the Messiah, the Christ. And then just a little bit later, he's going to try and tell Jesus what to do. It's just Peter. He, Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. Peter is going to fail Jesus many times. Peter's going to fall asleep when Jesus needs him to pray for him. How can God use a guy like that? Because Peter was a guy who fell down, but by the grace of God, he got back up. Peter was a man who didn't stay down. He was a guy who blew it multiple times, but by the mercies that are renewed every single day, he tried again and again and again and again and again and then again and again. And that is why I love Peter. Peter goes from this guy who in this scripture we're talking about, he, he can't even, he really doesn't even trust Jesus for fish. To when it's all said and done. I mean, when Jesus has died for sin, when he rises for salvation, he's ascended unto the heavens to show us the way. Peter becomes the leader of the early church. He pens two books in the Bible. And when they go to crucify him, at this point, he won't even be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. No, crucify me upside down. Church, this is some radical change. And this is what we have to call progressive sanctification. It's this place of progressively, because again, eventually he, at Pentecost, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit would be poured out and empower him to other things. But in this point here, he's just trying to walk along and trying to get along. And Peter is not incredibly spiritual. In fact, he doesn't have very much spiritual maturity. He, look at these things that he keeps trying to do. He doesn't have a whole lot of trust in the beginning. But listen, this is what makes Peter, this man that is after, I just love him, is that Peter throughout this time, even in his spiritual immaturity and the trust that he doesn't have, he's still teachable. He's repentant. In church, when he blows it, he owns it. You don't find Peter blaming others for his sin. You don't see Peter holding others uh, responsible for the things that he's supposed to do. Oh, Jesus. James over here. No, you know what? He just keeps coming back to Jesus. Jesus, please forgive me. I blew it. 
I messed up. I don't deserve it, God. But I'm asking that you would come and minister, Lord, to me. He just keeps coming back to Jesus and saying, please, Jesus, work on me. Please keep working in me. Keep, please keep working through me. And that's that process of progressive sanctification that we just continually keep coming back. God, show me. Help me. Minister to me, Lord God. Listen, that is who I want each of you to be. Church, when I say be the church, that is what I want you to be. Perfect? No. But when you blow it, go to Jesus. Own it. Stop trying to blame people. Stop trying to blame others. Stop trying to blame the culture. Stop trying to blame your boss. Stop trying to blame your kids. Stop trying to blame your parents. Stop trying to blame your friends. Stop trying to blame your spouse and own it. This is my responsibility. This is what I need to turn to you for. Repent. Let the spirit of repentance flow as many times a day as it needs to. Going to Jesus like Peter did. Be that person that comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I blew it again. I don't know what is going on, but Jesus, can you, will you please, God, forgive me? Don't give up on me. I am trying. I want to be better, but I keep blowing it. Lord God, do your work in me. Be that person. That's Peter. And and he goes on in verse 9. He says, And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken in. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So who became the early core of the disciples? Peter, James, and John. This was the the core group of that. They were the senior leaders among the disciples. And listen, this is, again, this is important. God and God works providentially through the pre-existing business relationship and friendship that they have. God uses them in their friendship. He uses them in their business attributes. And this is the the idea that I want to begin to wrap this up with. Some of you need to get off your, your chairs and get to business. You need to get involved in ministry. You need to start doing what God has called you to do. Okay, listen, if this isn't of the utmost importance, what did he save you to do with you for? Why didn't he take you out of here when he saved you? God wants to work. Some of you need to get involved in ministry, get important. You need to start serving. You need to start getting some stuff done. Because this is the truth. Statistically, statistically, two-thirds of you, you think that Christianity is all about sitting in the bleachers rather than getting on the field. You think it's about what happens on Sunday, not all the other days. And that's not the truth. And I know we can come up with all sorts of excuses and reasons. I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't use some of the excuses and reasons that we use when he was walking the, the path to Golgotha, going to the cross, I'm so glad he didn't come up with excuses. And we can come up with all sorts of them. One of the main ones is, well, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to begin. Look, our God is a sovereign God. 
And I want you to please hear me because I'm going to take some of the, uh, we're going to make it real. This is something you're going to be able to apply. Amen? So don't shut your ears off. This is something you need to hear. God in his divine providence often puts people in your life to bring you together for kingdom purposes. The people in your life are there for kingdom purposes. And so Peter and James and John, these guys, they're together for kingdom purposes. They just didn't know it. They got a relationship. They've got this friendship. They work together. They know and understand the chain of command because they've been in business together. They understand how to resolve things. They understand how to work through their difficulties. They know how to run a business. They know how to get things done as a team. And as a result, they become a very effective ministry team. Hey, that, this is what happens in all of this. Well, what does that mean to us? That means if you're married... You and your spouse need to figure out what your ministry is Amen. together. And church, if you're a parent, you and your kids need to figure out what your ministry is together. Amen. And if you're single and you got a roommate, and that roommate, and listen, if you're single and have a roommate, it should be a Christian. Don't be unequally yoked that way. You guys need to come together in that divine relationship and you need to find out and talk together and find out what your ministry is together. And if you're in business or you have a job, you need to look at the others around you. Find some Christians that are there, Christians that are in the business, and then begin to figure out how does God want to use us here? How does God want to use us in ministry here? What does God want to do? You need to start looking around at some of the relationships that are right around you and saying, God, in your divine providence, are you using this? What do you want to do in this? You've got to start thinking, does God want us to work together and also do ministry together? Is this like what you are doing here in the scriptures? How can we combine our efforts? How can we take the things we've learned? How can we take the giftings that we've learned in the business area and use those, God, to bring glory to your name and to serve others? How can we do this as we go out? And Lord, because what we want to do for you is way more important than what the business has to say. Look, our sovereign God puts people in front of you for you to work with. exactly what happens here with Peter, James, and John. And this is what the Bible is teaching us. And I said this last week, and, and I'll say it again. In fact, it's something that I want to, I got to figure out how to make it very plain someplace. But this is, this is, a, this is a word from God. Not one of you is called to do nothing. No one can say, oh, you know what? God's call's on my life. Yeah, he blessed me with the call to do nothing. It's not, there's not anybody, there's not anybody that has that as a call. Worship team, come on back up, would you please? Let me ask you to bow your heads with me. I, I want you just to take a moment to just in your own heart, in your own mind, to consider some of these questions right here. Because this, this today, this is for everybody. What typically will happen is that, you know, in a message like this where we're encouraging people to get involved and get plugged in, is those who are already involved and plugged in will want to do more. This is not what that's about. 
This is about for those who aren't doing anything to realize that God's call is upon your life. He saved you for a reason and purposes. I don't care what it is and where you are in life. God wants to use what it is and where you are for you to minister through. There is a ministry if you will look for it and begin to see the opportunities, not all of the obstructions. Amen. Start looking at what you can do rather than what you can't do. God has filled you with can-dos. In fact, I said this before. There's more things in this world that you can do than what you should do. So church, as you bow your head and just, just again, think about this. Is God today speaking to your heart and calling you to get out of the stands and to join the team on the field? Is he's calling you to step on? I, again, I'm not necessarily saying it's just church, but what is God calling you to do? Look, some of you, God is calling you to start a Bible study on your lunch at work. To take a corner table and to just say, I'm doing a Bible study. I'm going to do a devotion every day. You're welcome to join me. To calling people around, the preaching, the teaching the devotion to God's word. Some of you, you know what? God's calling you to take a person, two people, three people in your company and to, to go out maybe once a week or every other week and go out and take your lunch to go feed the homeless. There's some of you that are being called to open your home. Begin to have a, a coffee time devotion time for singles for single moms for married who cares come have some fellowship together to have a, a time of prayer together to open my home for prayer who wants to come and we're just going to pray but let me say this that Devotion, coffee time, devotion time, prayer time is not gossip time. Don't use prayer as a reason to talk about everybody's problems. Don't do that. Listen, there are some that need to stop and repent. God has so much He wants to do. There are some, maybe God's calling some of you for your family to come together and to take a weekend to minister to the children in the church, to, to take a part in kids' ministry. And, and maybe God's just calling some of you just to volunteer. I don't even know what, I just need to volunteer. Call me, or call Pastor Trevor, call Pastor Chris, and say this, some of the, the most frightening words you will ever feel come out of your mouth. How can I serve? Church, are you gifted? Are you gifted with the gift of sanitation? Hey, maybe some of you are just, you know what? I love to clean. God, God can use you around here. Maintenance. Painting. Doing some things along those lines. How can you? 
listen church, I'm just saying those things because I want you to get outside of the normal box of what you might consider to be ministry and whatever it is that you can do under the glory of God and serving others is what he's called you to. How can you use your gifts? And who has God placed in your life? Church, all of those things are important. But none of those things are important unless you can answer this question. What are you going to do about it? Do, capital D, capital O. What are you going to do? Because, listen, when you leave today, nothing cannot even be an option for a Christian. As followers of Christ, not, nothing cannot be an option. Look, it is impossible, church, to follow Christ and do nothing. So everyone is called to something. So what is your something? Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that today men and women in strength and boldness would stand up, Father God, to serve as you called us to serve, to, Lord God, be obedient to you in every situation, that, Lord God, we could step outside of the boat, outside of the comfort, outside of the what we feel is earthly or worldly protection, that we could step out, Lord God, and trust you, that we could step upon the waters to see the miracles that can only flow through an almighty God as we become obedient, Lord, to step up. Come on, church some of you are being called to step out of the boat today out of the boat of your comfort out of the boat of where you have been your complacency to step out onto the waters to step into the places where signs and wonders flow to begin to see the miracle working hand of God at work in your life as you just choose to obey him even when it doesn't make sense even when it doesn't seem like it will work even when it doesn't seem like the right timing but God said therefore Lord I will step outside of the boat of my comfort and I will walk upon the waters and I will Lord God continue to do what you have called me to do Lord God let that be the cry of your church today that we would step out that we would step out and begin to do what you called us to do
lift up your voice. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. Think about that. Sovereign hand will be my guide. Where fear and fear surrounds me, you've never failed, and you won't start God, the grace of the Almighty, that because of the example of Peter, we can step out, Lord, and we can do as you called us to do. God, I thank you that it doesn't depend on where we've been. It depends on who we're following. And today, Lord, we say, I choose to follow you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, church, we're going to talk about, because, you know, there's a point, and sometimes it gets missed, about when, when Peter stepped out of the boat before he got to Jesus, there's a middle there. Let me tell you, the middle counts. And we're going to talk about that next week. I hope and pray that you'll come, bring a friend, bring someone to come out, have a cup of coffee, and to gather around the sharing, the ministry of God's Word. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget to pick these up back in the back for all of you that are going or coming up to the camp today. Let's sing this as we go.
you.